You guys are awesome. It's like the building just emptied out. Thank you, Ruthie, for filling in and the worship team. You did an excellent job. Thank you, Ben, for filling in in the sound room. You did an excellent job. Giving Danny a break where he can sit here with his lovely family. I know it, it's, it's, you enjoy doing what you do up there, but it's nice to be able to sit out here sometimes. Amen. I have a, a sermon this morning that I wish everybody that attends High Point Church could hear this, not because it's a great sermon, because it's something that needs to be heard. Um, I thank you that are here. I thought I had one opened already. I thank you all the, who are here, those who are watching online. If you'll just get with me this morning and stay with me, we will, um, I think my dad used to say, if you'll listen fast, I'll talk fast. I want to preach a sermon today on the problem with truth. The problem with truth. just want to start off by reading a passage of Scripture from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 60 through 71. John chapter 6, verses 60 through 71. On hearing this, many of the disciples said, this is hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. And then this is an explanation of why Jesus was saying these things. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Do you, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you the twelve, yet one of you is a devil? He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though he was one of the twelve, was later to betray him. At some point, every church, every ministry faces difficult times. There will be times when attendance giving, striving for a closer walk spiritually when they're up. And there will be times when each of those things is down. Regardless of where a ministry may be at any given time, most church leaders and, and many church members are doing all they can to see the ministry grow. And I would like to believe that all of us want our church to grow, 
and all of us want to see the ministries of High Point Church prosper like never before in our community. With that said, John chapter 6 that we just read from, in that passage, Jesus seems to have had a different view of ministry than many church leaders have today. Although in reality, it was not what he was doing, it looked like Jesus was trying to do everything he could to drive away as many people as possible. It's not what he was doing, it just looked that way. Apparently, Jesus had not read any books on the subject of leadership and church growth. In our day, I say that because in our day, it seems that we are always looking for a successful church growth campaign. And Jesus, on the other hand, seemed to be running a very successful church reduction campaign. And here's why I say that. In, when John chapter 6 opens, Jesus has over 5,000 people following him, eating the food he provided and listening to him teach and speak. When this chapter closes that we just read, he has only 12 men left, and one of them he calls a devil. The problem here, it wasn't really a problem, but we would look at it as a problem. The problem here was what Jesus said when he preached. Jesus was calling people to make a commitment. He knew that many of the people were following him. They were only there because of what they could get to satisfy their flesh. So Jesus called for every one of his followers to commit to him and to him alone. This call to commitment had a twofold outcome. First of all, it clarified his call. It told people where he stood. It clarified his mission. It clarified his ministry so that those who followed him would know exactly who he was and what he expected from them. That's the first thing it did. The second thing it did, it kind of purified the ranks of the disciples. And in doing so, it weeded out most of those who were not genuine in their faith or their commitment. This passage in John chapter 6 reveals how Jesus stated the truth about himself, about his ministry, and it also shows that when he did that, thousands of people turned their backs on him and walked away. After the crowds left, Jesus turned to the, the 12 disciples and he asked them to make a personal commitment as well. You can almost hear his heart break. Maybe his voice cracked when he looked at them and said, do you also want to go away? You don't want to leave too, do you? We are living in a day when, for whatever reason, many folks are walking away from the things of the Lord. And while it hurts to see it, it should not surprise us because it's what the Bible said would happen in the final days of the church age. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, Paul wrote that in the last days, there would be a falling away. Paul also wrote in 2 Timothy 3, 5, that people living the end of the church age would have a form of godliness, but deny the power. We read these things and and yet when we see it taking place around us, we seem surprised or sometimes we seem shocked. There are some insights in the scripture text we read today as to why people make the decisions they do concerning their walk with the Lord. 
And that's why I want to preach on the topic, the problem with truth. So what are some of the problems with truth? Well, some people hear the gospel. They may even make a profession of faith. But then at some point they walk away from the Lord. They walk away from the church. Why do they do that? If we take this passage in John as the answer to that question, it becomes clear why so many people do that. It's because they find truth revolting. They don't like it. And in this chapter, we, we see that it, it seems that the people that had been following Jesus, it becomes very clear that they were becoming suspicious. They were becoming hostile. And they were starting to turn against Jesus. I know that, and we know that in reading, because all it took was just him calling for a commitment, and they said, this is hard. This is hard. We can't do that. And the next thing you know, they said, not only can we not do that, we're not going to. See ya. And they walked away. Keep in mind, these are the same people who wanted to make him king after he multiplied the loaves and fishes back in verses 14 and 15 of John chapter 6. Let's make him the king. Look what he just did. And before that chapter was over, they wanted to have nothing to do with him after they heard the message that he preached in verses 26 through 65. Pretty much all in the same conversation. All in the same day, they went from we want you to be the king to we don't even want to be around you. All because he spoke truth. So what changed their mind? Simply put, as I said, he told them the truth. And either they didn't like it or they simply couldn't handle it. So what outrageous things did Jesus claim? First of all, he claimed to be the only way to salvation. We as Christians know that's the truth. He claimed to be the Son of God. We just celebrated Christmas. We know that he was God in the flesh, that he truly was the Son of God. He said that he was superior to Moses. He told them that salvation was a matter of faith alone. And he preached that apart from God's intervention, they could not believe the gospel. All of the things he said were true. But it didn't matter. Jesus preached absolute truth that he was the Son of God, that he was God in the flesh, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and that was a truth they did not want to hear. For some reason, it seems that the default human position is that either we are capable of working out our own salvation through good works, or that God is obligated to save us whenever and however we say he needs to save us. But the fact is, we either get saved on God's terms, or we don't get saved. When truth is revealed, there are only two reactions to it. Truth can either be received, or it can be rejected. People receive the truth when they see it for what it is, truth. They reject truth for a lot of reasons. Let's look at just a few of the reasons people re reject the truth. Number one, some people misunderstand it. 
They hear the truth. It sounds weird. It sounds kind of foreign to their ears. They hear the truth and they think they hear one thing when the truth is actually saying something completely different. When Jesus told Nicodemus that he needed to be born again, he thought Jesus was talking about biology when he was actually speaking about a new birth in Christ. When the woman at the well, Jesus talked about giving her her waters of living, living water. She thought he was talking about plumbing. When Jesus was actually talking about himself, the water of life. When the man at the pool of Bethesda thought Jesus was, he said, here's what needs to happen. He thought Jesus was talking about carrying him to the water. When he was really just talking about having the faith to heal him. And sadly, this trend continues today. That's why many people attend or they join a church, but they never get saved. That is why the Word of God is so offensive to many people. They misunderstand the truth, and as a result, they reject it. While some people misunderstand the truth, some people are just opposed to it. As Jesus revealed himself and his truth in this passage in John, people seem to be in constant and increasing opposition to it. These people were not able to accept his deity, that he truly was God in flesh. They were not willing to accept his impending death, his claims of lordship. They weren't accepting the gospel that he preached. And as a result, they opposed him at every turn. Even today, there are people who oppose the basic truths of the Bible and the claims of Jesus Christ. His call to commitment goes against their desire to live for themselves. And as a result, they find themselves in opposition to God. The claims of the gospel, the cross, the blood of Jesus, goes against everything we by nature believe as human beings. We Americans are some of the worst of humanity. Some of y'all just got mad at me, so hold on. I'll tell you what I mean by that. Hang on. In our belief in what freedom is, we feel like we are able to pursue our own destiny. And you know what? That is true constitutionally. But it is not true spiritually. Far too many people feel like they can live any way they want and come to God on their terms when and however they please And I will tell you, that is not biblical. We have, as Americans, in the greatest country in the history of the world, we have the the freedom to pursue happiness. That is our right by the Constitution. And we can do it pretty much any way we want to do it, within the boundaries of the law. But that's not the way salvation works. The Bible is very clear as to what the plan of salvation is. And Jesus said that there was only one way, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's what he said, not my words. Some people misunderstand the truth. Others are opposed to it. And some people are just blind to it. All through the Gospels, people said to Jesus, show us and we'll believe. Keep in mind, these are the same people that saw Jesus perform all kinds of miracles, including feeding over 5,000 people 
with five loaves of bread and two little fish. And then immediately after he did that, they figured out that since the disciples had left on a boat without him, that Jesus had somehow miraculously crossed the Sea of Galilee without a boat. And still, they either couldn't see or they refused to see who he was and what he was doing. So when he issued the call to commitment, they were unable to see the truth or they were unable to accept it because they were blind to the truth. And people haven't changed much over the past 2,000 years. And that is why still today, so many people reject the truth and embrace a lie. Because they are blind to the truth. The last reason we're going to look at as to why people reject the truth is that some people want the experience, but not the expectation. These people who were following Jesus were doing it because he satisfied their fleshly appetites. And all they really wanted was more of the same. In fact, in John chapter 6, verses 30 through 31, John says that in spite of all they had seen, they basically told Jesus, hey, Jesus, Moses gave the children of Israel manna in the desert. What are you going to do for us? That's what, he, that's what they said. After all they had seen, it just wasn't enough. We want to see more. We don't want what you say. We don't want your message. We just want more of what you've been giving us. Not the, not the spiritual part, just the food. We like the miracles. Not so much the commitment part. They were looking for something that satisfied the flesh, something that made them feel much better about themselves. They wanted the experience. They wanted to follow the next king. They wanted the miraculous. They wanted the sensational. But then when Jesus started talking about expectations and gave them a call to commit fully to him, they turned and they walked away. Why? Because they wanted to live in the excitement of the moment. They wanted that excitement without the commitment. Unfortunately, we witness the same mentality in a lot of churches today. There are a lot of folks who want a religious experience without any expectations. They want to serve God for what they can get out of it without any concern of glorifying God or doing His will. They want entertainment and excitement without the commitment that comes along with the proclamation of truth. There are far too many churches today that minimize biblical doctrine and the requirements of the faith while emphasizing entertainment and experience. For many folks, as long as you have a rocking band standing up on the platform, a short TED Talk kind of message that challenges no one's lifestyle, a youth program that will babysit the kids while the parents are lulled to sleep by a happy, happy sermon that is devoid of truth 
and plenty of activities going on, eh, they're all in. And you have their attention, not so much their commitment, but you have their attention. But start talking about commitment. Start talking about living a life that glorifies God, and they, they start to drift off, looking for the next best thing that will entertain them, that will make them feel good about themselves, that will offer them what they want and what they want to feel. You see, sometimes truth is tough. Jesus saw that. In John, in just a short period of time, Jesus went from over 5,000 followers to 12. And one of them was looking to betray him. So truth can be tough. Sometimes truth makes demands on our lives. Sometimes truth is brutal and it, it seems unfeeling. Sometimes the truth is controversial. But here's what I know. The truth is always true. And the Word of God is truth, and the Word of God will always be true. It does not change. Not everyone can handle the truth, so I would ask you today, can you handle the truth? I'm not talking about some new revelation. I don't have any new revelation. I don't have any new truth. I'm talking about the simple truth that's found in the Word of God. While the truth may be revolting to some folks, for other folks, it's a revelation. When our heart is exposed by God's truth, that truth acts like a powerful light. It exposes our sin. It, it exposes our failures. It exposes the truth about our own heart. When we look into the Word of God, we see God in His truth, but we see ourselves as we really are. Look at James 1, through 24. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. You walk up to the mirror and you look in it and you look horrible. And you go, ah. But then you turn around and go, eh, whatever. And that's what the Bible says, that hearing the word and not doing anything about it, that's what it's like. The word convicts our heart. It speaks to our heart. The Holy Spirit speaks to our heart. And we're maybe touched for a little bit. Maybe we, we find ourselves in a place in, in a church service where the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. And it moves us a little bit. And then church is over, and we walk out the door, and we go, eh, where are we going for lunch? And we never think about what we saw when the Holy Spirit pointed out stuff in our heart. While seeing the truth about ourselves can be painful, it is a necessary first step to walking with the Lord. If we don't see what's in our heart that shouldn't be there, why would we ever ask the Lord to remove it? Most people think they have secrets. Oh, their thoughts and deeds might not be known by other people, but they're hiding nothing from the Lord. Hebrews 4.13 says this, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. 
Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You see, Jesus knew why the multitudes were following him. He also knew the deepest secrets of their heart. And he knew that there were many who appeared to be followers who really weren't followers at all. So let me ask this. When the Lord looks at your life, what does he see? Does he see absolute commitment and faith? Or does he see a life that wants experiences but lacks the commitment? The truth is he sees us just like we are. He sees us in ways that we cannot even see ourselves. I can't see into your heart. You can't see into mine. But God sees us in, an, in our entirety. And he knows who and what each of us are. So what does he see when he looks at you? That question, what does he see when he looks at us? There is no better incentive than that for us to consider the condition of our own hearts. People have always attempted and probably always will attempt to hide their unfaithfulness to God behind a list of excuses. Excuses have been described as lies just wrapped in reasons. Think how it would be if people just told the truth about where they are with God. Because if they were honest, they would just say, I, I just don't really want to serve the Lord. That's really what it comes down to. Instead, we make up all the excuses as to why we don't. They would say that they want, don't want to be committed to his will. They don't want to be committed to his work. They would admit that they want the benefits they can derive from being in the church and being around God's people, but they really don't want the commitment or dedication that goes along with it. We might think, well, that'd be a little awkward, wouldn't it? If people just told the truth, would it? But the fact is, when we believe the truth about who Jesus really is and about what he wants from us, it will show whether we say it out loud or not. The truth, when it shines on our heart, is not just a revelation of who he is, it also reveals who we are. When Jesus asked the disciples, are you going to leave too? Like all the rest of the people, it was Peter who spoke up for the rest of the group. Imagine that, Peter. This time he didn't say something dumb. This time he expressed their total commitment and stated the fact that we know that you are the Christ. We know that you are the Son of God. And we know that you alone are the way of eternal life. In all of his other faults, Peter takes a big step here that many in his day had not or would not take. You see, Peter had made the necessary connection between the words of Jesus and Jesus himself and who Jesus really was. For Peter, truth was a reality. 
You see, he had heard what Jesus said, and he had believed every word. You see, Peter knew how his life had been changed. He was a rough fisherman before he came to Jesus. And he knew how his life had been changed. And this was enough for him to make his confident statement that he would not walk away. I know what you've done for me. I will not walk away. Now, there came a time of weakness for Peter when he failed the Lord. He turned his back on Jesus for a short time, but he didn't walk away forever. Let me assure you that once we have felt the powerful touch of the Almighty God, once you have walked in the light of his glory, once you have tasted his goodness, when you have experienced his best, you will never be satisfied with substitutes and imitations. When truth becomes a reality of your life, you will never be able to settle for anything less. Oh, there'll be folks that walk away, much like the people in this passage we read today. But if and when that happens, and listen to me, please, if and when that happens, we are to love those people. Yes, we are to warn them and we are to pray for them and leave them in the hands of a faithful and righteous God. Of course, while we always tend to look at where others are in their walk for the Lord, in their walk with the Lord, we need to make sure we examine our own commitment at the same time. Too many times we hear a sermon like this and we say, oh, I am so glad so-and-so was here to hear that today. Or, I sure wish so-and-so would have been here so they could have heard that. Well, they're not, and we are. And guess what? God knew that. And I'll leave that there. Although I do wish there were some here today. So let's go back to the question Jesus asked his disciples in the beginning. Do you want to go away also? And here's something I want us to see and hold on to this morning. And it is that this is some truly good news. Not everyone walks away from the Lord. Some people, in fact many people, once they are saved, they make a total commitment to follow the Lord and they do it for the rest of their life. They make that commitment and they stand by it for the rest of their lives and I hope that describes everyone who is here today and everyone that's watching online. I hope this is a lifetime commitment. But on the other hand, it seems that even in Jesus' ministry and every ministry since, some people hear the claims of Christ, they see the demands of the gospel, they hear the truth of it all, and they choose to walk away. They go off in search of a better deal. Rob and I have been in the, I'm so glad to have my friends Rob and Melody here. Rob and I have been in the car business for combined probably 2,000 years. Um, and we have heard that, um, I'm going to go see if I can find a better deal kind of line from a lot of folks. And as much as I didn't like to hear it in the car business, I sure don't like to hear it now as a pastor of a church. 
And people disguise it in a lot of other ways. They don't actually say those words, I'm going to go look for a better deal. But in reality, that's what they're doing. They're looking for a better deal, something more agreeable with their human nature. And that is the problem with truth. As we go into a brand new year, could we commit ourselves to hearing, believing, and living the truth of God's Word like never before? Because that is the only kind of life that the Lord will bless. I want him to be able to bless my life. And I pray that is what you want as well. But only, the only way that will happen is by making a total commitment to the truth found in the Word of God. Not just the parts we like. Not just the blessings part. Not just the signs and wonders. Not just the shout and the excitement. The hoot and holler. But also the take up your cross and follow me part. As a side note, Jesus said the, the phrase, follow me, at least 20 times as recorded in the Gospels. It means it's probably pretty important. Let me say this in closing. There is no such thing as a partial commitment. There is no such thing as kind of believing the truth found in the Word of God. It really is an all-or-nothing walk. We follow him completely, and if we are trying to do anything less, then like those who walked away from Jesus in John chapter 6, we too have a problem with truth. Well, Pastor David, I'm just not sure I believe what you're saying. Okay, that's your choice. But let me say this. In spite of what some folks would like to believe, there are not several versions of the truth. I am not asking you to believe my truth. I am saying that we must believe the truth as it's found in the Word of God. My commitment to the Lord and my commitment to High Point Church and my commitment to you is that I will teach and I will preach the Word of God. And as long as I'm doing that, let me say that again. As long as I am preaching and teaching the Word of God, if someone has a problem with it, their problem is not with me. Their problem is with the truth. I am not the truth. The Word of God is. Let me just make that clear again. If the Word of God is true, and the Word of God contains truth, and I am preaching and teaching the Word of God, then your problem is not with me, it's with the truth. And the truth will always be true. And please don't get me wrong, I'm not standing here on the last Sunday of 2020 asking you to make a bunch of New Year's resolutions. We all know how those work out. You don't have to have a problem with the truth. Doing so is your choice. Study the Word on your own. Come to church. Come to Bible study. Pray for God to reveal you the truth of what you read and, and what you hear. You will never know what is said from this pulpit or, or over the, the 
your podcast or, or online or on TV or anywhere else. You'll never know if it's true or not if you don't study the Word of God yourself. That's why so many people believe a lie. They just hear it and they never, they never look to see if it's true. If you will go back to the Word of God, you will always go back to truth. Pray that God will reveal to you the truth of what you read and what you hear. And this morning, I am asking you to make a commitment to follow Jesus. No matter what anyone else says, no matter what anyone else does. Would you stand this morning? I'm not going to give a long, drawn-out altar call of any type today. I am going to say this. None of us have arrived. From wherever we are, we can always get closer to the Lord. I pray that your desire for this coming year is God, draw me closer to you. Draw me to a place where I've never been before in my walk. If there is something in my life that should not be there, point it out to me. As David said, search me, O Lord, and know my heart. See if there's any wicked thing in me. Lord, point it out so that I can get rid of it and I can move forward. Help me not to have a problem with the truth. And that's what I'm going to ask us all to pray. If you'd like to come and pray here, this altar is open. But I want us all to pray where we stand. If, if you don't come up here, I want us to pray where we stand. That God would speak to our hearts today and give us that commitment to make a commitment in the coming year like we've never made before to seek after truth. If we will do that, we will see things happen with this group of people here at High Point Church that will impact Brandon and all the surrounding communities and the world. Would you pray this morning? Lord, today we come to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Lord, we really thank you today for your mercy and your grace. Lord, because we mess up from time to time. We make mistakes. We slip and we fall. And today we are so grateful that there is grace and mercy. But Lord, today I ask that you would take us all to a whole new level in our walk with you. Draw us closer to you than we've ever been before. As we go into this brand new year, Lord, help us to do it with our eyes on you, focused on you, and our heart fixed to live for you like we've never lived for you before. Help us to make a commitment, Lord, to you, to your word, not to a person, not to a church, but to you and to your word. And Lord, we know that you'll take care of all the rest. Change us. Change our hearts. Fix our eyes on you, Lord. 
take us to a whole new place in you. Lord, if there's anything in our lives, we ask that you would show us those things. And with your help, that we would get rid of those things. Help us to repent and change direction and never go back to those things again. We'll ask all of these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing a chorus together this morning.